Hi, and welcome to another episode of Questions. I'm in the studio with Pastor Joel today. How are you doing? Doing great. Great. Great to see you. And uh, today we have a question in from Allie, who writes in, uh, Pastor Joel, I often get discouraged when my prayers seem to go unanswered by God. Is there something hindering my prayers? And should I continue in these prayers or instead pray for something else? Pastor Joel, what does God's word have to say? It's a great question. Uh, there's a lot of texts that we could look at. Um, this is maybe an unlikely text, but I think it's helpful nonetheless. And so I'd like to take us to the book of Romans, chapter 1, uh, verse 9 through 13. Verses 9 through 13. The Bible says this. This is the Apostle Paul speaking. That's his introduction to the letter uh, in his letter to the Romans. And so he's really uh, part of what Paul's trying to do, a bit of a background here. Um, Paul's trying to persuade the Romans that he cares, that he has uh, personal care for them as, um, as just uh, a spiritual father with spiritual children. Um, Rome is a place that he has not yet gone. So he's visited um, a lot of different places, Corinth and Ephesus and Galatia. And um, But he has not made his way to Rome yet. And there are Christians there that Paul has heard about. He's received positive, uh, encouraging news about the Christians at Rome. He has longed to see them and to be with them for quite some time. And so he's trying to persuade them because it's very likely that some of Paul's um, enemies, uh, enemies of the gospel, enemies of the Apostle Paul, had been lying to the Christians at Rome saying, uh, the Apostle Paul doesn't really care about you. He doesn't really care about how you're doing, your spiritual health and vitality, and uh, trying to um, basically uh, persuade the Christians at Rome away from Paul's doctrine um, by, by convincing them that uh, Paul does not have affection and genuine uh, love for them. So Paul is trying to uh, rectify that um, sentiment by uh, convincing the Christians at Rome that he does in fact care, and therefore all the things that he's about to tell them um, in terms of doctrine um, is something that they should listen to because he has a credible voice, because he has first and foremost authority from Christ, uh, but secondarily he also has genuine affection and love for those people. So again, Romans chapter 1, starting verse 9, the apostle says this, God is my witness. Right? Not, not some human authority. He appeals to God himself. God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit. That is, I, I serve with my whole zeal, my whole passion, my whole heart in telling the good news about his son. So God is my witness, who I, I serve with everything I have in my ministry of the gospel. And here it is. This is what God is witnessing to, that I constantly mention you always asking in my prayers that if it is somehow in God's will, I may now at last succeed, right? Implying this is something I've been trying to do, just haven't been able to, but at last succeed in coming to you and physically visiting the Christians at Rome. For I want very much to see you. I long to see you, so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift in order to strengthen you, that is, to be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, uh, you encouraging me and I encouraging you, both yours and mine. Now, I, I've used this text before to talk about um, the criteria, the key components of um, a healthy Christian community. But I want to use this text again in, in reference to the question that we received today from Allie. 
in terms of prayer. So notice um, in verse 9, going to verse 10, Paul says this, God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in telling the good news about his son, that I constantly mention you, now verse 10, always asking in my prayers, that if it is somehow in God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. Now, if we kind of pull back the hood, you know, if we if we lift up the hood and look under to see some of the implications of what the apostle is uh, communicating to us, one of the things that we should quickly recognize is this. This is an apostle of Christ who has been constantly praying that he might see the Christians at Rome. And to date, at this point of him writing this letter, God has not answered that prayer. And so I, I just want to pause there for a moment. I want you to be encouraged by that, Ali. I want you to be encouraged by the fact, the biblical fact, that an apostle of Christ, who is an eyewitness of the resurrected Lord, Jesus appeared to Paul on the road to Damascus and commissioned him as his apostle to be his messenger and endowed him with uh, spiritual gifts and, and signs and wonders. And this man, who, who we know from other texts, Paul was caught up into the third heaven. He doesn't, he doesn't claim that personally for himself, but, but many biblical scholars have agreed that Paul is actually speaking of himself when he says, I know a man who is caught up into the third heaven. He's just not wanting to boast. He's being modest. But we're talking about a man who is an apostle of Christ, eyewitness of the resurrected Lord, caught up into the third heaven. He's not sure if it was in the body or out of the body, if it was a trance, a vision, or whether it was physical. But either way, um, the point is this, the apostle Paul is a big deal. This isn't just, you know, your average Joe Christian. This is Paul. And what Paul is cluing us in on in this text is that he was constantly praying for a particular thing, and for a prolonged period of time, we don't know exactly how long, but it seems the implication is for a long period of time, that particular prayer was not answered by God. Paul wanted to go to Rome, and he had longed to see the Christians at Rome so that he might minister to them and part a spiritual gift. Most biblical scholars say that spiritual gift was his his doctrinal knowledge, the spiritual gift of teaching. And Paul had longed to go to Rome to see the Christians there, to, um, to minister to them, to preach and teach to them, to encourage them, and to be mutually encouraged, to be encouraged by them as he uh, got to experience um, their genuine Christian faith. And Paul had this desire to see them, to minister to them, and to be ministered to by them for a long time. And during that time, he constantly prayed, petitioning to God that God might providentially allow for Paul to have this desire in his heart, which was a good, it's not a selfish desire. It's not a desire for a Lamborghini. It's a desire to go and preach the gospel to people. And God didn't answer the prayer for a long time. So, what do we do when our prayers aren't being answered? Well, I think I think that we have to understand, and, and I've spoken on this before with one of our previous questions, uh, referencing the two wills of God. 
which I, I know that sounds, it just sounds wrong, right? Two wills of God, right? God's not schizophrenic. He doesn't have multiple personality disorder, although <laughs> he is multiple persons, right? We have one God, uh, but three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But these three persons share one will. We don't have three wills. And the reason why is in terms of theology proper, uh, we know that the will of God belongs to not his three persons, but to his divine essence. And so we have one God, one essence, divine essence. Um, and then we have three persons in the Trinity. And the will of God is belonging to his essence rather than to his persons. And so we have one will. The Son is not against the Father's will. And when he prays in the Garden of Gethsemane, right, that would be the objection right before his arrest. Not my will, but your will be done. Um, that will that, that Christ is speaking of is um, belonging to his second nature not second person, Christ is the second person of the Trinity, but Christ, the second person of the Trinity, also has two natures, the divine nature and the human nature. And so he's referring to that second nature, his human nature, that the human, uh, the humanity of Christ um, wrestled with the cross, did not want to go to the cross, um, but absolutely wanted uh, more than seeking his own to submit to the Father and the Father's will. So all that being said, the point is, um, God has, um, we have one will, in a sense, belonging to the triune God, belonging to his divine essence. But, but at the same time, we, we could theologically distinguish, right? That's the, R.C. Sproul used to always say, it's the theologian's prerogative, uh, not to separate, but to distinguish. So the, 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 in theology, we're always talking about distinctions, right? If, if I, you know, Sproul used this analogy that if, um, you know, a person has a soul and a body, if I sever or divorce or separate your soul from your body, um, I've just killed you. <laughs> uh, but if I distinguish your soul from your body, then I'm just doing good theology. So um, the will of God belongs to the essence of God, all three persons, the triune essence of God. But within the will of God, we have uh, a distinction of two wills, namely his sovereign will and his moral will. His moral will being all those things which God has clearly revealed to us in his word, his commandments, his law, and also, of course, his gospel, the person and work of Jesus Christ, his life and death and resurrection and ascension. This is God's moral will or his revealed will. His sovereign will, or we could say his hidden will, uh, is the fact that before the foundations of the world were laid in the councils of eternity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit determined that certain things which are not in line with God's moral will, that which is holy and righteous, would in fact occur. They would be ordained by God in order to ultimately bring about his good, wise, and holy purposes. Best example, of course, would be the crucifixion of Jesus. Uh, it is not in alignment, in accordance with God's moral will, which says, thou shalt not murder, or thou shalt not bear false witness, that Jesus had sinful men, lawless men, Acts chapter 4 says, or Acts chapter 2, bear false testimony, false witness about him, and ultimately murder an innocent man by hanging him on a tree. 
that is in contradiction to God's moral will, his revealed will, his law in Scripture, as we see it. And yet it was in perfect accordance with God's sovereign will. The Bible says that um, it was the will of God to crush him, the prophets speak of, um, or that Christ was crucified before the foundations of the world, in a sense, that, that God in the councils of eternity determined that he would ransom a people for himself by grace alone, through faith alone, in the substitutionary work of Christ alone. And so, in the case of Paul, back to our text, Romans 1, 9-13, Paul is earnestly praying for something that is moral. It is righteous. It is good. It's not selfish. It's not sinful. We, we can't, from this text, say that Paul had some kind of you know, wrong motives, um, anything like that. As far as we know, the apostle is praying a good prayer. He's praying a biblical prayer. God, I pray that I might go to this other city, this other place, so that I can further the gospel, so that I can I can preach and teach and minister to these people so that more people uh, might hear the good news and be strengthened in their faith. And there's nothing wrong about that prayer. It is a prayer that is, I, I would say, is in perfect alignment with God's revealed will, his moral will. And yet, we know that that prayer was not answered not for a while. And so it must not have been within alignment to God's sovereign will, his hidden will. So again, Ali, my, my answer, landing the plane now, my answer to your question would be this. Um, there are a few reasons, and, and, and to, for the sake of simplicity, uh, we'll boil them down to two. Uh, we'll boil them down to three. <laughs> There are at least three reasons why God might not answer a prayer. One is you're praying for the wrong thing. And when I say the wrong thing, what I mean is it does not align with God's moral will, his revealed will. It is, um, it's wicked. You're praying for something that's sinful. Like the what, in terms of what you're petitioning for, what, what you're requesting, it is something that is, um, would be sin um, for you to have. It's not in alignment with God's moral will. So you're praying for the wrong thing. The what is wrong. Um, another reason that God may not answer your prayer is the why. Maybe you're praying the what is proper. So what you're praying for is good and righteous. Um, but your motives, why you're praying for it, is um, wrong. Uh, you have wrong motives. James talks about this, about praying with faith. And the, you know when you do ask, you know have not because you ask not. And when you ask, you ask with wrong motives, with wrong desires, to spend it on yourself, your own passions. So you could be praying for the wrong thing that is something that does not align with God's moral will, his revealed will. Uh, you could be praying for the right thing that does align with God's moral will, but but with the wrong motives. So the, the what is correct, but the why is wrong. And then the third that I'm really getting at in our text today is you could be praying for the right thing, the right what, uh, with the right motives, the right why, and yet it's still just not in alignment with God's sovereign will. Right? You're praying for something that's good and righteous. It's inherently good. It is in alignment with God's moral will, and by the work of the Spirit in and through you, by God's grace and sanctification, you're praying with not only for the right thing, but you're also praying with the right intentions, the right motives. I think that's what we have in the case of Paul. 
I think Paul had the right motive. He said, I long to see you so that I might minister to you. I might impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. That's a good motive. He gives us the why. And as far as the what, he also gives us the what. What is it that Paul's petitioning, constantly mentioning in his prayers, uh, that he would go and get to minister to these people? You get to see them. And he wants to do it for their good, for their strengthening. So it's a good what, it's a good why, and the prayer is still not answered. Because even though what Paul's praying for aligns with God's moral will, and why he's praying for it also aligns with God's moral will, it's good, righteous intentions and motives, it still is not in accordance, at least not yet, with God's sovereign will. For whatever reason, God decided to prohibit for a time the apostle from being able to achieve his goal of visiting Rome. And God is infinitely wise. Right? What he has revealed to us belongs to us and our children forever, the scripture says. But the hidden things belong to God. God has certain reasons that we just don't know. He's God. And some of God's reasons in his sovereign will for allowing for this and not allowing for that, um, we, we just, we don't know. But he's good. And he's just. And he's wise. And so we trust him. And so my answer would simply be, um, you may be praying for the wrong thing. Search the scripture. Is what you're praying for good, according to God's standard, according to scripture, his revealed moral will? Number two, ask God uh, to purify your motives. Uh, is, is your reason for asking for this righteous? And then if you can answer yes to both of those questions, I, I've got praying for the right thing. It does align with God's scripture. And I'm praying with the right motives, the right reasons, but it's still not being answered. Then, then the only category left to chalk it up to, if you will, is that third category of, we just must not be in line with God's sovereign will. And, and then we can rest on Romans chapter eight. And that's where we lay our head down. That's our pillow that the Christian sleeps on at the end of the day. Romans chapter eight says that God is working all things, all things, including unanswered prayers for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes. You're praying for the right thing as far as you see it in scripture, as far as you know, in God's revealed will. You're praying with right, righteous motives, again, as far as you know. And it's still not being answered. Well, God just must know something that you don't. And he's good. And he's just. And he's wise. And we can trust him. Great. Thank you, Pastor Joel, and thank you, Allie, for that question. If you want to send us a question, uh, email us at contact at rightresponseministries.com. We would love to hear from you and respond to those. Remember, subscribe to our YouTube channel, like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram and Twitter, and tune in next time on Questions. As a special thank you for your gift of any amount, we'll be happy to send you a free digital book from our store. To access this offer, visit rightresponseministries.com slash offer. We highly recommend Pastor Joel's book, Am I Truly Saved? If you or someone you know has wrestled with doubts about the love of God, this would be a great resource. As a reminder, to get this offer, go to rightresponseministries.com offer. And thank you for your generous support.